Beautiful text, guys. Let's pray as we start this off, okay? Father God, we thank you for this amazing text that you've given us tonight. And I am grateful for the fact that you want to speak to our hearts. And that you want to be personal with us tonight. So please, God, move through this text by the power of your Holy Spirit. And God, have your way in our hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. I was telling Jeffrey earlier, I was like, man, I said, the, the text that we got tonight is so good that what, to not ruin it, I should probably just read it and then not say anything else because it's, it's an incredible text tonight. It's thick. Like this soup Rach made the other night. It's just thick and hearty. And we want to just, what, what was it you saying about that soup? You just want to just get covered in it and drown in it. You know, it's, it's incredible. It was a yams. What was it? I always forget. Butternut squash soup. No, it was really good. As is this chapter here. It's thick and it's rich. And there's so much flavor in this text. And there's so much nutrition and hearty things that God wants to speak to our hearts. Now, I guarantee you there may be things that I don't say that the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart. And it might not even be come out of my mouth, but God wants to speak. So listen up, because I know he has something for us to hear tonight. Um, so tonight, we're going to cover chapters 5 and chapter 6. For those of you that haven't been here all of these weeks, what we've been doing, while Pastor Tony's gone, we're covering two chapters a week. Now David and I said, hold up, two chapters a week? We are not going to let him do this to us again, because this is a lot of text. But we're going to make our way through it tonight. So I'm going to have to blitz through this thing and, and just to keep on track. But as I was studying it, more from an overview perspective, it was really fun. Sometimes, I mean, with a text like this, I, we could literally spend a week per verse. I mean, you really could. Um, you can spend the rest of your life in one book like this and, uh, and get a whole ton from it and be a better person uh, for it. But tonight, we're going to go through two chapters. And it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of nice because sometimes... People can go down into a forest, and they can look at every tree and examine every slug, and they learn a lot about nature. But sometimes you can fly over it in a helicopter and observe it from an overview, and you learn a lot as well. So tonight we're going to do that. We're going to choose the latter of them because we've got to get through the text. So um, God, just be with us tonight because it's a lot. Now remember, Ephesus. Ephesus was a cultural whirlpool. Remember that? The first week we were talking about just how every single culture was represented in this place. And it was good and it was bad. Now the good aspects of it are things how, how people learn to become more tolerant of things that aren't truth issues. Just maybe how people smell, for instance. You can learn to get a little more tolerant as you're sitting next to people on the bus and you get some weird smells sometimes and you get a bit more used to that type of thing. Foods, accents, you guys are just barely getting used to our American accents, but you know, you'll get used to it one day and, and we, we'll get used to yours. We'll learn how to understand. New thing that I learned was um, the word barks. <laughs> it's not box. The other day we were playing a game and someone, the clue they gave me was box and I thought it was box and I'm like, what, what are you talking about? But they said the word barks. So um, I'm going to move this. I think I'm getting feedback. But so there's certain things that we get used to as we get more exposed to a variety of different people. And, um, and so that, that's one of them. Now, in Ephesus, though, it was taken to the negative extreme. Remember how we spoke about two weeks ago? How sometimes when you have so much variety, so many different kinds of people throwing their culture and their truths at you, 
if two truths say completely different things, they can't both be true. And so that's just the reality of things. Well, the bummer is when you have that type of a, uh, of a city that you live in, the first thing that starts to slide is that people will start to call truths, what do they call it? Relative, right? Truth's relative. So what's true for you can be true for you, and what's true for me can be true for me, and we can both exist in our own little bubbles without actually dealing with the problem. But the truth is, is that there is a truth. Because something is true, either that or there's no truth. But there is truth. And Jesus testified of that truth. So as we look at this tonight, um, we just, we're starting to see how, how Paul makes really clear that there are things that, that you need to define, and that is the truth of the gospel. But then there are other things which should be mixed together, which should become one, which should meld together, and that is the body of Christ. Believers, those of us that believe in Jesus Christ, has his life, his death, and his resurrection. Those of us, man, should there be those stupid fights between us? Should there really be the hardness of heart between us? I don't know, you guys. I, I don't know. You may have had experience with Christians in the past. Maybe that's what kept you away from Jesus so long. <laughs> you know what I mean? So many people have had these experiences with Christians where, where it's, it's the smallest things that keep them fighting with each other. But I'm here to tell you, if you've never heard it before, that is not the God of the Bible. That is not the gospel, the good news that Jesus preached. Now, truth will divide. If I say, everybody that has these symptoms, if you sneeze, if your eyes turn red, and if you have, you know, your arms falling off, you have this disease, right? Then that's going to divide people because people that have that disease will have that disease. People that won't, that don't, won't. You know what I mean? So it will cause a division, but it will also bring those together that are of the same kind. And that's what we need as a body of Christ. We are a body, and that's what this text that we're dealing with tonight starts to come into. Now, we've already read it, so what I'm going to do is, is start to, to uh, chunk it up for us. Um, one of the ways that, I, that is described um, to teach, one of the responsibilities we have is just to cut up this amazing filet mignon that we have in front of us and just bite-sized chunks. So that's what we're going to do. So the first chunk is going to be walking in love. All right? I'm going to start off with, we're going to start off in this text, and it's going to teach us how to walk. All right? You guys know how to walk? Walk from point, point A to point B, right? You know how to walk. I see some people have different walks. They got like the kind of, you know, the limp, the cool, the cool swagger. I think they call it. Is it swagger? I don't know. I can't do it. But, but some people got that going on. I don't, obviously. And then other people, you know, they know how to walk. Everybody walks a little bit different. But there are some founding principles that we need to know for our walk with Jesus Christ. It looks different. It doesn't matter how you walk. You can swing the arm or whatever you want. But as long as you're walking with Jesus, that's all that matters. So we have here the first requisite for walking with Jesus as we are to imitate now God as dear children instead of all the other things we were before. The first requisite is to walk in love. You guys see that there? Walk in love. Now who's on this walk? Can we really love unless we know love? And that's the first, that's the first point of this chunk here. This is going to be verses 1 through 7, and it's going to talk about how we walk in love. Now, we love like we've been loved. I, I was in uh, China before. We went to this, um, it was like a, a disabled children's orphanage in China. Um, in China, there's the, kind of the one child 
law. You guys heard about that? You can only have one kid. Um, so a lot of the children that are born with disabilities, they kind of get tossed away. And um, because that's, that's your future support, when you really think about it, I mean, that's kind of your, as you get older, who's going to pay for the bills? Well, if you have one disabled child, no one can take care of you. So, I mean, sadly, it's a horrible, horrible situation. But what, what would you do if you were poor? I mean, that's kind of what happens. So, um, so these children go to these, these homes, and it's a Christian orphanage, and they, they, they love because God loves. God is love. And so they bring these kids in, and there was a little girl there, and I'll tell the story fast, but this little girl there, and I just remember I'd go up, try to give her a cuddle, and she would get this big smile on her face and then hit me. Right. I'm like, okay, what? So then day two, I'm there, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to give this little girl a cuddle. We'll try. What is going on with this thing? Okay, so day two while I'm there, um, I was like, I'll give it a try. So I go over to the little girl. I give her a cuddle, and she gets this, like, the same look on her face, and then she just, like, hits me again. So I'm going, what is wrong? And then it was like every, the whole week I was there, this happened, kept happening, kept happening. And I, it, she was little, so it didn't hurt that bad besides my pride. And, uh, but I started to notice her interactions with people, and that was the case with everybody. And, and then I started, I don't know. I, feel, I felt like God showed me something, whether or not this was the case for her or not, but um, I felt like God showed me something. He's like, that's you. You don't know how to love, right? This girl had just, I think had just been received in the orphanage, and she came from a really abusive home. So that was kind of what she knew, you know? Just, hey, someone hugs you, you hit them. Like those type of things. So, um, so that's what she knew. So, so she learned her love as that. And, and Lord was starting to show me that, what my definition of love was, even in my best intentions, I mean, even if this girl really did want to give me a cuddle back, which is what I'm choosing to believe, um, that, you know, she hit, because that was her definition of what love was. But before we come to Christ, beloved, there's, there's a really different definition of love that the world has. And we need to be aware of that, because otherwise we can start to drag in this dead, limping body of something that other people call love. We can drag that in. And then we can start to be loving our brothers and sisters in Christ and like end up in bed with them or end up, you know, talking about them behind their back or end up in all of these different ways. If we're not careful and we bring the old man past the cross, whew, it's not good, right? Just hitting when people are giving you a cuddle. So that's something that, that as we read in this text, it says there's all these lists. And I want you to dissect it yourselves. But there's a huge list of things that it says we were before. But it says, once we come to know Christ, uh-uh, not anymore, you guys. Not anymore. We're new. We are new creations. And so the verse from there, it says, let us walk in love. Verse 2, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So check that out. So as Christ loved us, we're to walk in love. So that is the example now that we start to learn. I mean, when, if, if, it was, if it said that we were legitimate children of God, then, then that's one thing. But we were adopted. So there is that process of a new nature. Don't worry if you still hit for a while, you know. I mean, God's going to work on us. And he's a good dad. He knows how to work on us. So if maybe you're just coming to Jesus right now, there's still going to be things that, that you're doing that still kind of look like the old love. But just be real with God, and he'll show you what those are, and he'll get them out of, your, out of your life. He'll get them out of our hearts. Just be real with them and humble enough to accept his, his uh, parenting, I guess. So now as a child of God in love, now we are in love, and there's the clear defining line now between what is it, not love, and love, right? 
The question is, who's your daddy then? Because in this, in this chapter, or in this section here, it says, dear children of God. And then also, it, also, the other people there are children of disobedience. So we have children of God and children of disobedience, which is what we used to be before. So, now that we're children of God, we might still be disobedient, but he's training us, and he's teaching us, and he's moving in us to just learn. So the first section is that we're going to walk in love. The next section here is verses 8 through 14. It's going to be that we are walking in light. Okay. So we've already established like who's on the walk and it's the children of God. But the next thing we, we start to establish is where do we walk, right? So if you, if I just, you know, stood you upright and I said, Hey, just walk. You said, what would your next question be? Right? Where? Yeah. Where? Okay, just go ahead and walk around the corner, take a left at the, at the you know, Krispy Kreme, and then past the chip shop, and you'll find then Mama Angie's over there with some Jamaican food. And you'll go, all right, I'll get there fast. <laughs> so walk, yeah, yeah, exactly. No, that was a joke, Francis. She's not. <laughs> um, now, we used to be in darkness, but now we're in light. So before it said that we were children of disobedience, and all in this section here, in verses 8 through 14, it says that we were used to walk in darkness, but now we walk in light. Okay? So what does that look like in our lives? Well, in 2 Corinthians it says, For it's the, it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's God who shone out in that darkness to give us that light. So we have no pride, no leg to stand on to brag, do we? We're just, oh God, thank you, for first of all, for adopting me. Thank you, secondly, for showing me what to do. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. His word shows us where to go. I remember this story uh, because there's two aspects of walking in light that are kind of illustrated in this chapter. Not only does light show you that you want to live in light things, but light also shows you that you want to avoid the darkness. Okay, so two aspects, two stories to illustrate this. Um, one of them, I was sitting in my, my car uh, back when I had a car, one of those days back in the States, and uh, it was a Jeep, and I really did enjoy driving it, but it was a gas guzzler, and right now... I wouldn't want a car with, with uh, petrol, as you call it. Um, but, okay, so I was sitting there in the car, and I was actually I was facing the sun, so I don't know which way it came up, and it was completely pitch black. Um, those of you on the, the worship team, if there are any in here, we used to start worship at the old church. We would get there at about 6 o'clock in the morning um, so that we could practice before church. So we were there early. And during the winter, there was no sun up at all. So I got there. I was actually a bit early, earlier than that. And I was sitting there just waiting. And it was completely pitch black. And as I sat there, the sun was coming up. Darkness. All of a sudden, a little bit of light. I could start to make out shadows and like shapes. You know what I mean? Shapes. There's these cool shapes. This is cool. Those nice, nice shapes. As the sun started to come up a bit further, I started to see little bit of like perspective a little bit of perspective a little bit of a little bit of color i could tell if something was like really really light or really dark but i couldn't tell make out the specifics of the color and as i sat there it continued to get more and more color more and more perspective i could see further i noticed oh look there's a tree over there check it out there's some rubbish on the ground oh look there's some birds flying there's clouds all of these things 
As we come to Jesus, he's the light into our path. God was the one who spoke, and he shone light out into our hearts. At first, we couldn't make out anything. But then we just started to see some big shapes. We knew, oh, wow, there, there is a God. Oh, my gosh. You know, he starts to work in our hearts, and, and he saves us. And then we start to have a little bit of perspective where we had none before, before we were just hitting walls. But now we start to have a little bit more perspective and start to see, huh, I really shouldn't, no, I really shouldn't do that. He starts to place color in our lives where before it was just really empty relationships, but now there's actually color in just the joy of sitting with your, with your mom or with, with friends and not getting wasted anymore, but just enjoying a laugh, enjoying a cup of tea, talking about the word. There's really beautiful things that God starts to do as he shines his light in our lives and he breathes and shines perspective on what used to be just darkness before. Isn't that incredible? How God has taken, he took our eyes and gave us sight so that he could use this analogy. I'm confident of that. He uses this analogy to show us the reality of spiritual darkness and the reality of being able to see. And God has done that. And if you're still in darkness, ask God. It's because it's his job and he'll shine that light in your heart. It's so true. The Bible does not lie. And all of us, I mean, those of us that know him would just nod our heads because we know the Bible is true, and God will do it if you ask him. Amen. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Verse, sorry, verse 9. And now verse 10, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. So before we just walked around and we hit walls and we stubbed our toes. But now we actually know where to walk, how to walk. And, we, and it has this little hint there of a transition into the next section, which is to find out what is acceptable to God. Okay, does that, does that progression make sense? Now that we've been set and now we've been made children of God, now we are set on the path, but then they say to walk in light. So that tells us where to go. So now we have an identity and now we have a direction where to walk. But then the last one is actually the way to walk. I missed the main point of the previous one in staying in the light. Because remember how I said there was two points of being in the light? First one was to learn to live in it. The next one was to avoid darkness. Just have a goofy story. Um, when I was little, I was really afraid of dark, of, light, of nighttime. And I had a bed that was, I mean, it was like this tall. I'm pretty sure it was like this tall. So I had to crawl up on my little, you know, get on top of the bed. And I, I promise there was a wolf that lived under my bed. There was. And he was from Sword in the Stone. You guys see that movie, The Wolf That Tries to Eat Your Legs? So um, he was under my bed. And, um, and so I was terrified at night to go to the toilet because I had to get off my bed <laughs> and I had to make my way through the dark house and the dark hall and the bathroom, right? I was used to the light and I didn't like the darkness because you don't know what's in the darkness, do you? So I jumped off the bed and I was picturing his legs doing this from underneath the bed, like grabbing at my feet. So I would run, I would jump as far as I could off of the bed and then I would run to the light and I would switch on the light. It's like, oh, I made it this far. And then, because I, I didn't want my parents to know that I was doing this because I was embarrassed, I would turn off this light and then I'd run in the hall and I'd flip on the hall light, right? And then, and then I would like, get to the bathroom, I'd flip on that light, I'd run back to the hall, I'd turn off that light, I'd run back in the bathroom, close the door, and I was safe. <sighs> then you have to go back. 
no wonder I spent so much time in the toilet at night, you know. So I was okay. So then I would, you know, turn off the light, run to the hall, backwards, backwards, jump, barely escape the wolf's claws as he's going for me, land in the bed, and I'd get back there. And I avoided the darkness at all costs. <laughs> okay? Stupid illustration to point out that is how us as children of God should be with darkness. At all costs. Keep the light with you. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Keep that so keep that lamp with you at all times. And you know what? If you're going somewhere that you know is dark, get your lamp out. Just start reading. Make sure that you're staying with the light. Because if you stay in that light, you'll know what's coming for you. And if that wolf from Sword in the Stone is coming at you, you'll at least know. Okay? So keep your sword, keep your word with you. Because it's so important to do that. As we transition now, walk in wisdom is the next section. It's going to be verses 15 through 21. Now, where we know where to walk, but now we have to ask ourselves the question and answer the question, how are we to walk? So we have our new identity. We're walking, right? Children of God. We now know that we're supposed to stay in the light. <laughs> stay in the light. And then the last one is we have to know how to walk, the way to walk. Circumspectly. Walk circumspectly, it says, verse 15. Not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. If you have a McDonald's little voucher, right? Everybody looked at Nathaniel. Nah, <laughs> nah, that's not true. If you have a McDonald's voucher, you redeem it when you use it. When you use it, all right? Sorry, Nathaniel, he's going he's gonna to never let me have the end of that one. <laughs> okay, so, um, but when do you redeem the voucher? When you use it. You go in there and you say, yes, I would like a Big Mac and the fries. And they take your voucher and then you give them the money and they give you your change. And that's when you redeem the voucher, isn't it? So what are we to do then with our time, it says in this, to redeem it, to spend it, spend it good, spend it wisely. Don't be a fool with it, right? Facebook all day, Xbox all day, nah, nah, we're not to do that. We're to redeem the time, to use it wisely. And that's exactly what he's called us to do. Because it says, it says that because the days are evil. It's like if all the light is busy staying inside, hiding away, what? that's kind of a shame. It, no, it's, it's a huge shame. It's not just kind of a shame, it's a huge shame. So, it says, use the time wisely. I'm not going to put a guilt trip on you. Because in verse 18 it says, don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation. What is dissipation? It's something that's just fleeting. It's pointless. You know? It's, it's just not worth it. It's not that it's, it's evil and from the devil and you will go straight to hell. No. It's just pointless. Why would you? You know? Don't, don't, do, don't do that. But instead, it says, be filled with the Spirit. So, that's really what he's saying. He's, he's saying, don't be unwise. Be wise. Don't be filled with things that are going to pass. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God is eternal. So, something temporary or something eternal? Eternal, for sure. Eternal wins every time on the scale of value when it comes to those types of things. So, use and walk in wisdom by the Holy Spirit. 
It's not by your strength. But there are times when we just know, though. Be honest with me, right? There's times when we know where, okay, I really shouldn't be doing this. This is a real waste of time. It says redeem the time. So let's do it. Let's redeem this time. And now let's redeem this time. So it says um, the things that we have to use, it says that we are to be filled with God. And it kind of goes through a list of different ways as we're filled with the Spirit that we are to use to kind of give praise to God. And I like the list because it says in words, in songs, in your heart, in your will, your desires, your, and, and also your fear. We're to use our fear properly. We're to fear nothing but God. Don't fear the one who can take away your body temporarily, but fear the one who, who can throw your soul into hell. Fear, fear that one. That's, that's a good place to spend your fear on. You have fear, though, and you will spend it somewhere. So spend, spend that in a proper fear of the Lord. Proper respect and reverence is maybe a better word. But don't, don't spend it on all these other things. But there's so many ways that we can walk in wisdom. And everything that we do, really, can we, you should use our wisdom for. And as it says in this, in this chunk, from verse 15 through 21, we are to walk wisely, not as fools, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's key. I don't want you to feel like you've got to go do it on your own. Neither did God. And that's why he sent the Holy Spirit. And that's why Jesus died, resurrected, and then left. And so that the Holy Spirit could come and fill us and dwell within us and unify us as a body of Christ. Jesus said, it's better. Listen up. Jesus said, it's better that I leave you now. Because if I didn't leave, then the Holy Spirit wouldn't come. You ever thought about that? That the disciples, so many times we think, oh man, those disciples, I wish I could have just sat there and been with Jesus all day, listened to him teach, oh, to watch those miracles. Woo, that would have been so amazing. Jesus said, it's better that I leave because then the Holy Spirit will come and fill you. So don't ever let all those glory days back then stop you from living the way that God has intended it, a redeemed life as children of God, walking in light and walking wisely. So now we have three things. We are to walk in, the first one, walk in what? Love, nice. The second one, walk in what? Light. And the, the last one, we're to walk in wisdom. Brilliant. So now we, we are, we're going with that. We have three things, three ways that we are to walk. Now the, the, the chapter in the book actually transitions into a kind of a different, seemingly unrelated direction, but it's not unrelated at all, is it? Because the next three sections of this book, it talks about wives and husbands, it talks about children and parents, and then it talks about bond servants and masters. Now, Jesus loved parables. Okay, what's a parable? It's a small little story that kind of points you to a bigger truth. So a small little story that points you to a bigger truth. Okay, Jesus loved them. He just, he just thought they were the best thing since sliced bread. And he would tell them all the time. He was like, okay, so let me tell you a story. It's a parable about this one dude. He did this. This other guy did that. And then everybody, you know, died. And then everybody goes, what? What did that mean? And then he said, let me tell you what that meant. Or he would say, go figure it out. <laughs> one of the two. And it was a really amazing and incredible way to teach people because it engaged their brains. I, t I mean, if I was to just sit here and ramble on um, and I didn't tell you any stories, you'd probably start sleeping about 20, 30 minutes in. 
Because we, we need our brains engaged. We have to be able to relate to something. That's just how he's designed us. So the first, the, the really amazing thing is that our, if our lives are biblical, and hear this out, if our lives are biblical, our entire life, if we walk like these in these ways, our entire life will be a parable that will point people observing us to the greater truths of God's word. So, if we walk in love, in light, and in wisdom, we will actually then, by the way we live, be a living parable to illustrate biblical truths to the people around us. Do you know that the Holy Spirit can use your life like a parable? He can use your life and say, and point you out to other people. And He's done it. He's done it. People say, oh, wow, I saw you in how you dealt with this problem. And I realize now that God is all I need because of how you lived. God will use you like that. I know he's done that with Mama Ange. He's done that with people in this room. And, and more, more than everybody here, God has probably used you in some way to point someone else to a greater spiritual truth, not with your words, but with your life. As when it's lived rightly, it'll be lived out like a parable of God's word. Now, how incredible is the fact that now, as we are saved, we will be preaching the good news of the salvation of God through just how we live. And please use your words, too. Because it's important to make very clear why we live the way we live, but also live your lives like your words. If you're preaching the gospel, live out the gospel, too. So important. When lives are changed, so society is changed as well. Grassroots change. And that's what we're looking for in London. We don't just want the prime minister to get saved. While well, that would be incredible. I mean, both the prime minister and the queen last year gave some pretty bold statements about Jesus Christ. The queen and her Christmas message, watch it. It rocks. I, was, I literally teared up like a baby, and I was crying at her Christmas message because Queenie preached the gospel. And I'm so grateful to the queen, Elizabeth, because she owned it. And she didn't have to do that, but she preached the gospel. And she talked about Jesus and how her prayer is that people would come to him in repentance and receive the free gift of reconciliation and salvation. It was, it was powerful. And then not only that, but I believe the prime minister as well said that we're not to be ashamed of our Christian heritage. He said it's where we came from and it's what has made us who we are today. And I thought those are really profound <laughs> statements for both to come from those two people. However, do we see a revolution in society because of those statements from top people? No, not really. It's going to start as grass, grassroots. Uh, does that phrase here as well, grassroots? Where it starts from the, from the grass. It just means it starts from the ground and works its way out and changes the landscape. And God will do that. When he changes your life and your heart and your family, all he has to do is that. And that's all he has to do. And he'll change whole neighborhoods. One thing that I've noticed in um, a particular part of London that, that I just love is that there really aren't any fathers and I've, really, I've noticed that, and it kills me because I go, there is no way, and it, it kind of ticks me off when I see some of these guys, and I go, these are not men. There might be 40, but these are boys. And I'm only 20-something, 20 26 now, aren't I? I'm only 26. <sighs> what? Oh, wow. That is crazy. I'm 26 now, so I'm only 26. I'll keep saying that. And... I, I still, I feel like I stand before these 40-year-old men and I go, I'm really, I'm really immature. But you're even worse than me. 
And that's not right. When we grow up, we need to grow up. Not get boring, but just to become more wise and more circumspect and all of these things that the Bible's talking about. To love, to be more loving, to be more wise, to be more discerning of things that are right and wrong. That should happen as we grow up. If it's not, ask God tonight, why? Why isn't that happening? I really want to grow up. You know, Peter Pan was only cool in fairy tales. So, in, in this, though, I look at this community and it frustrates me. Really bad. Really frustrates me. But the thing that I realize is that what has to happen is God has to save someone in that community that is from among them. Like Jesus, send someone there to live out a redeemed life. And then that person, then they know it can happen. Then they know because God stepped in and showed his power through one man. You know, one man that would be a man in their community. That's what needs to happen. Jesus, Jesus came. He showed us how to be men. Because I tell you what, we're all wimps inside. But it's when we really read the word and we read the truth of God's word and we say, you know what? I need to man up. And that's placed on us men. There are more verses about how husbands need to love than about wives. And we're going to get to that really soon. But we need to man up. And that's only happens, sometimes those things only happen from grassroots revival of just people getting changed and seeing it's possible. There is another way. You don't have to sleep with everybody and have a bunch of kids before you're 25. You can do it a different way. God is good. This is how to act with others. Okay, it is important. So now that we know how we are to walk, it's so great because the Bible gives us three very specific examples that grassroots relationships that will change a society. Three of them. Husband and wife, children and parents, and bosses and employees, or servants and masters. Bosses and employees. Really, we all feel like servants of, of our jobs sometimes, don't we? So that's pretty much what it is. But these are grassroots relationships that will change our country. And it's about us living wisely. And if we do that, you have no idea how God will use it. Let's start with the first one. The first one is going to be marriage. Pretty much, it's labeled Christ in the church. Now, how many of you are married now in this room? There's like a few of us. Okay, a few of us in this room. How many of you call yourself Christians in this room? Okay, nice. So this applies to all of us because this is about Christ in the church. Now, what God does is he uses, like I said earlier, remember parables? He's going to use your life as a parable. Marriage, he uses as a parable, okay? To understand God, understand Jesus, to understand the church. So, now, light was created, guarantee you, so that we could understand God's presence and his truth. Marriage, I would say, is created for this reason. To show us the beauty of the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. Now marriage is a biblical institution. Marriage is a biblical institution. It started back in Genesis. The Bible's been around for a long time. I don't care what anybody else tells me. Marriage is a biblical institution. Whether or not a government recognizes it, it doesn't matter. Marriage is biblical. It's before God and what God has joined together. Let no man separate full stop. That's what the Bible says. Okay? 
So marriage starts there. It starts in Genesis. He gave us a great foundation for it. He said that the two shall become one. And as we read here in verses 22, he gives something for the wives. Now we can say wives and people will get mad, but that's okay. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Okay. So the, the, main, the role here, there's something about a wife in her submission to her husband that is going to illustrate something about the church in our submission to Jesus Christ. Now, is this text saying that the wife is inferior and just needs to submit? Absolutely not. And I despise people that say that. Even the attitude from some young guys that are like, that's right to submit. No, that needs to die. And what the Bible says here is, is that, okay, this is an illustration. But it is how our marriages are to play out. Okay? It is a hard role for both of us. Okay, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Okay, there we go. That's it. Wives, submit. Now, submit and respect your husband because we are all called to submit and res- submit to and respect Jesus Christ. So, if you're not married, think about it. Are you submitting to and respecting the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, for wives, you might know, those times when your husband wants you to do something, right? And you, you, kind, of, you kind of know what he wants, but you, you don't really want to do it because there's that resistance there. Okay, that's an illustration of what we do with Jesus. So that's, that's why this is all working together. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. We're going to continue. Husbands. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Jesus Christ was the Son of God. So men have the harder role in this because we are called to love our wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now Jesus came. I love how Pastor Tony says it. Jesus Christ crawled into our world and he died here. And that's what we are called to do as men. As a parable of what Jesus Christ did for us. As a living, active, breathing, tangible, call him in the middle of a fight, parable of what Jesus Christ did for us. And how we are supposed to submit and respect our amazing Savior, Jesus. Now, husbands are called to love their wives because Jesus loved the church and gave himself for her and cleansed her, nourishes her, cherishes her. And then we are called to be one. So all those things Jesus did for us. You can read through that text on your own if you want to just be romanced by Jesus again. Look at all the things he did for you as, as, your, as your spiritual, just your, your husband. Look at all those things and, uh, and you can enjoy that. Endless hours of enjoyment. Okay, first one. The first relationship, grassroots revival style, is what? Nice, nice. We have one. Is what? The first one is what? Husbands and wives. You guys are almost loud. Yay. Okay, so the next one is going to be children and parents. So, okay, the first example that I gave, you know, husbands and wives. Second one is children and parents. Now, is anybody here someone else's child? Yep, okay, well, that applies to all of us. And if you didn't raise your hand, what are you? (laughs) That's just freaky. All right, so (laughs) children are called to obey. Obey your mom and dad, all right? 
I learned a brainwashed song in, in children's church. was O-B-E-Y, obey your mom and dad. Okay, so that was, that was the song. But it's a biblical truth. You need to obey your parents, okay? We are called to obey our parents. Now, is anyone a child of someone? Yeah, we all are. Okay, are you a child of God? Mmm. Okay, so this is where it gets even more. If you are naturally rebellious towards your parents, think about it. Are you naturally rebellious towards your parents? You don't have to, you cannot, all right, I saw some heads. Um, okay, so if you are, beware, because that means you're naturally rebellious to the Lord as well. Now, are we all naturally rebellious to the Lord? In our own extent, yes. Are you really rebellious to your parents? We'll, we'll, pr- we'll pray. We'll all pray, you know, for each other, because we all have our areas we all have our, like, just flesh, natural areas. As I was saying before, we're adopted. God's working on us. He's a good daddy. We all have our areas of natural tendencies of rebellion. And so if you are naturally rebellious to your parents, just know. I mean, it's, it, you don't have to feel bad about it because we just read in Second Corinthians, we glory in our weaknesses because that's where God is shown strong. So if I'm naturally rebellious, God's going to work in my life in there, and I'm going to know his sovereignty and his ability to give me a nice spanking and all of those things better than all y'all you know so that that's that's the cool part it's because we can glory in our weaknesses because he's shown strong through those but if that is your weakness just know just be aware of it that could be your weakness with the lord so those times you know those kids that they pretend like they're being real obedient and they're not right you know those kids we can be those to the lord sometimes so just watch out for that Uh, but children obey your parents in the lord for this is right and i love it because the Bible pretty much tells us to honor mommy and daddy because God gives cookies. That's, what I, that's how I summarized it. Because God gives cookies, which are that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Now, there's, there's the truth that when we honor our parents, that we, we don't get hit by cars as much, you know, when we're little. Like, you we stay out of the street. We don't stick our fingers in the sockets when those types of things. But it's, it's also true, and I, I'm just going to have to take the word as the word. And this is not saying that everybody that, you know, dies young didn't honor their parents. They must have really been bad, you know. That's not what it's saying. It's just saying that there is a a benefit to honoring our parents. And there's something wrapped up in that that I don't understand. I'm just going to take God for his word, and we'll just continue on for that. Now, the last of this is there's children and parents addressed here, and there's fathers as well. Now, fathers aren't to frustrate their kids. It says, don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in training and admonition. It says, don't just make them frustrated at you. Train them in the Lord, okay? Now, the last, the fourth most defining relationship of society. So, um, there is one of them that we're going to save till the end. The second one, which is the first one I mentioned, second, uh, the, that relationship is, the first one that I mentioned was, nice, second one is, Brilliant. Now, the, the third one, does anyone want to take a guess at it? I mentioned it. Nice. So, perfect. Yeah. Employees and employers, or bond servants and masters. Okay? Now, this one here, we're going to go through it fast because I'm running out of time. For those under authority, whether employees, so employees under authority, are you under authority? Is anybody in here an employee? Anybody? Under, yep. Nice. So, we have some employees here. Fantastic. Is anybody here under any form of authority, like a governmental authority? Oh, that should be all of us. If you're not, yeah, yeah, okay, all right. Well, I've seen some that aren't, and I won't get near guns or knives with you because that's scary. Um, so 
for those of us under authority, the Bible says here that we need to do it for God and not for man. We need to do it for God. Don't do it for man. Because if your boss gives you a pay raise, really, that's not going to really matter that much in the long run. It's nice, and you can get some cool new trainers and stuff, but but really it doesn't matter that much. It says bondservants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Do it unto the Lord, not to men. So those of you that are in really frustrating jobs, just don't like them. Just get tired of your bosses. You have really annoying people over you. Oh, do it for God and don't do it for men. Okay? Because when, when you come to work after they just reamed you the day before, and, um, and when you come to work after they just reamed you, and you've got a smile on your face, you're doing it for the Lord and not for men. Amen? So if you do that, you're going to be this beautiful, this beautiful parable to men, to the people around you, and they're going to see, wow, why, how could they respect me? I just yelled at them yesterday, and they treat me like it doesn't matter. And you know what? If they ask you, you have my permission to say, it's because I am not serving you. I'm serving God. Just tell them that if you want to. In, in humility, don't come off as a prideful crazy. But you know what? You can tell them that. Say, I'm serving my God first. And he told me to serve you. You could even tell them that at interviews. That'd be a great one. I'm a Christian. What, what makes you a good employee? You could say, you know, I'm a Christian. You know, that's usually the red flag. But you say, but in the Bible, I'm a Bible-believing Christian, which are different. You can say that. And so I believe in the Bible. And in the Bible, it tells me, as an employee, I'm supposed to honor you in full submission. So I'm going to do that. And I'm going to treat you like, like God. I'm going to serve you like I would serve my master. Would they not hire you, man? We all employed here at Shoreline. Oh, my goodness. So try it. Next week, we'll all have jobs, okay? Perfect. Okay, so that, that, is what, that is right here what we're called to do. But as for bosses... I don't think any of us are bosses, really, but all of us are in positions of authority in some way, shape, or form. So for those that are in positions of authority, what this text calls us to do is it says, do the same. So you're serving God. You're not serving your employees. Sometimes there's that trap, you know, with employees where you just feel like you're in bondage to them. Oh, cut that. Cut the ties. Cut the ties. I mean, we are serving the Lord, and we're not, not serving men. Okay, so as we, as we continue on through this, you guys, um, it says that for those in the privileged position over other people, do it for God, not for man. Now, also, it says don't use fear tactics to intimidate. <laughs> I think it's really kind of funny that God has used that as an example in this. But he, he's telling bosses, you know, you know how, how people can try to make themselves so distant? Fear tactics? Okay, I, I want to bring up this point, and it's something that the Lord, that the Lord showed me. Um, we're in verse, we're in chapter six and we're in verse kind of nine, eight and nine area where it says masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening. But this whole like intimidation factor to make, to promote yourself, sadly, this can creep its way into the body of Christ for people that feel like they're older or more mature in the Lord. Beware because there are fear tactics that Christians will use to try to intimidate younger believers into a submission to them? If that's you, we have to stop. Because that's not acceptable in the body of Christ. 
I don't care if you've known Jesus for 60 years or six days. God has called us to be humble, like Jesus, in full submission. So I don't want to see in our church any throwing around things that you've done for the sake of promoting yourselves. To, to just to get more sway over people around you. I've noticed, I've seen this in myself, and that's why I, 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 I'm getting a bit emotional, because I know that God has shown me this today. There can't be any hint of this in my life, nor could there be in yours. If you find yourself drawing away from people and using like intimidation techniques to, to almost make people think you're doing all right, oh man, it's got to stop. It's not okay. Because God has not ever called us to that kind of leadership. True leadership is you get in there, you link arms, and you pray. And you humble yourselves underneath the mighty hand of God. And he'll raise you up in due season. Let's move on because we've still got the stinking armor to go through. And I'm ah, out of time. Okay, so if relationships are such an important part, then... We have to walk in love. We have to walk in light. We have to walk in wisdom. It's so important. And that's going to play its way out into our relationships, into our marriages, into our families, into our jobs, into everything. Lastly, if I was just to tell you all of these good things to do, so I, I'm not a sports person, but sadly there's certain things that can only be illustrated with sports analogies, and I ha, hate it. But we'll go with it today. You guys correct me if I'm wrong, but um, a good playbook contains both offensive and def defensive. Nice. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm learning something. 26 years and I got it. So offensive and defensive strategies, all that we've just learned right now, these are all the offensive right now, all offensive strategies. It's really cool because God never mentioned arguing and really getting really good at your information in this whole bit. He didn't do that. He's, now he's going to bring us into our defensive. There's still one offensive weapon, but he's going to bring us into the defensive right now. This is where it gets fun. Because what I want us to keep in mind here is the context of these verses. Because people rip them out of context and they plaster them on their walls. You know, they're real, real cute, and they have the little painting of the guy with the armor and the shield, and yeah, and you, you, you grow up with that. But really, when you look at it in the context, this is about relationships, first and foremost to, the God, to our Lord and God and Savior, but then secondly, to all y'all, for us, together. This is about our relationships. This is real. This is not theoretical anymore. So now when we look at these Weapons of defense, in context of our relationships, it places a more practical application on it. Because this will apply tomorrow and tonight. Okay, so what is the context of this passage? We've already had it. Unity, walking in love, three relationships, husband, wives, children's parents, servants and masters. But it says in this verse, in verses 10 through 20, starts off with finally my what? Brethren, So this is not addressing a single individual. This is addressing a group of people. Mind you, all of these things are for a group. This is not for Rambo. 
This, is, this text is not for Rambo, okay? Rambo, if you don't know who he is, he's a crazy action star, and all he does is he goes out on his own like a real man. No, not, not the truth. He goes out on his own, and he defeats everybody, right? That's a Rambo. This is not a Rambo chapter, nor are we, or should we be, Rambo Christians. We are called to be part of the body of Christ, called to be interlinked together because we need him first and foremost, and he made us, and he says you need each other. So that's what we have to come to grips with. Okay, so what is, uh, as we move on here, it says, brethren, all of us together, what are we to do? We're to be strong. I love it. We're to be strong. One, we're to put on the whole armor of God, right? Put on the whole armor. And then secondly, we are to stand. Put on the whole armor of God and stand. Mentioned three times in this chunk of verses, 10 through 20, is the command to stand, therefore. Stand. I wish I could do like a really good army general voice right now, because I would. But stand, therefore. We must stand. Why is it important to stand? Well, because when you think about it, you know what? We aren't charged to be to go out there and think of our invading techniques. God hasn't charged us to go and be sneaky and stealthy. He didn't say that. No. <laughs> he says, go out and stand. Really? Seems kind of weird. Why? This is not military tactics today. When we read, though, so many people talk about biblical trials and battles and stuff in a different way. When we read, it says in John ten twenty nine that my Father, who has given them, this is Jesus speaking, He's talking about the saved. He's given them to me, he says. He's greater than all. That's what Jesus says. He goes, my daddy is greater than everybody else's daddy. He's like, my daddy rocks. And he says, he says, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. So if you are in the hand of God, all darkness is coming around you. You're in light, aren't you? Because God is light and in him there's no darkness or shadow of turning. You're in his hand. You are in light, first of all. Secondly, you're protected because none can snatch you out of his hand. So if you are a city upon a hill, for instance, just using a random phrase, if you're a city on a hill, maybe a light on top of a hill, right? Hmm. If you were that, <clears throat> how would they get to you? They might come up the hill. They might come around. They might come up with their big, you know, this and that. They have their battering rams. They're going to try to get through the doors. But none can get through the doors of that, can they? They might, what, what else could they try to do? You see the movies where they like shoot all the flaming arrows, right? And, they're, and they, they shoot it. The arrows come from every direction and they're going into the city. They're penetrating the walls, right? Okay. This, that is the only weapon of attack that they have is the hope and the chance that they can either shoot you with a flaming arrow and get you to burn when the living water is right next to you. Or they can ask you to come on out. Come on out. Come on out. I'll take you on. You know, come on down here. It's a much, much easier fight, much better fight. Come on down. Come on down. All they can do is roar. They can scream real loud, can't they? Then is it not appropriate that it says that the, the enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he might destroy? Well, he can't destroy none of us in here, can he? But if we get out there, Walk out there. He can take us down, take us out. 
So then our responsibility in this battle is not to have our techniques, our tactics, our, our, all of these things. We are called to stand, therefore. Stand. Because we are already safe. So all we need to do is stand. With that in mind, we're going to look at the armor because the, this is an individual call and a corporate call for us to put on our armor as a body of Christ, but as individuals as well in that body. So the first thing that we have is what? We're to put on the truth. We're going to go through. Yeah, we're going to put on that truth there. When we look through here, it says, Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Okay, belt of truth is some translations, which is nice. But the girding your waist with truth, they used to like bandage themselves. See, I think you've seen it, I think they showed it in like the Gladiator movie, where they like bandage themselves like all like here, right? Really, really, really tight. Now what's the point of that? Anybody know kind of the point of it? They bind up their waist. Yeah, they, they do it so that, I mean, because... There's a lot of really central, vital things right here. <laughs> a lot of really important things. And, and, uh, and you, can get, you can get hit and you're susceptible from the sides. But also, when you are bearing the weight of battle, you need to be standing. You need to be upright. So they're going to gird this waist. going to keep it straight so you can stand, therefore. Your commander has called you to stand. So you're girding that waist. You're protecting. You're keeping yourself upright. You're keeping yourself ready. Ready to fight. You're not going to be slacking around like this, are you? No, you're not going to do that. You're going to be standing upright. So as you stand upright, check this out. Watch this, how God makes it impossible not to stand as we put on the armor. Okay? So watch this. Now I'm, I'm slouching around like I'm sitting down. But then as I bind myself up with his what? His truth. As I read his word in the morning, I start to wrap it around myself. I start to forget all of the lies. Not the lies from the... The fiery dart, well, the fiery darts, it says, but I start to forget the lies about my brothers. Because if the truth guards my heart, there's no place for those lies, is there? Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, pure, lovely, admirable, dwell on these things. Because these are the things we're called to dwell on, to think about. So as we bind ourselves up with the truth of God's word, we will not entertain the thoughts that would cause us to be divided as a body, Right? Think about how these apply to the body of Christ. Think about how these apply to your marriages. Think about how these apply to your parents and your coworkers. As you bind the word of God around your heart, ask him to use his truth to bind your heart into upright thinking about the people around you. Because I guarantee that he will start to use that to rightly align us as a body. It's important. The next thing there. So now we are upright. Okay, we're upright like this. We're going to put on the breastplate of righteousness. You notice my shoulders are still a bit lacking? Not once you put the breastplate on. It can't be because you'll get all cut up. So you got to be like this. So now, you know, even if I'm sitting down, I'm still pretty upright. Like I'm pretty close to standing at this point. I can look all cool and I got my thing on and my, my, my breastplate. But what does the breastplate do? It protects this. There's a few important things in this. My lungs, namely, I like those. I think I'll keep them. My heart's pretty important, right? Without your lungs and your heart, you're lifeless. Without the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we are lifeless. And if something has muddied your righteousness in your own conscience, you have a right standing with God based on the blood of Jesus Christ. But if your purity has been compromised, 
from the day before. Get right with God in the morning. Get right right away so you don't have anything in the way of this. It's your life. Your life. The heart pumps the oxygen through your body. And it's all stored right here. You need that. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is what gives you and fills you with life. So now I'm, I'm almost completely upright, okay? So now, in the last one, how cool is this? Because your feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, even the armor, Pastor Tony has a great picture, and it's got, it shows the little armor things here, and they almost cover like all the shin, right? Like almost all of it. So you're up. You're up. Like you are standing at this point. So if you put on your armor, you're already standing. Half the battle of standing is getting the armor on. Right? So half the battle of standing is getting out of bed when your alarm goes off. (laughs) Isn't it true? Is it just me? Man, I have such good intentions. But I admit defeat. I admit defeat. I need to pray more. God, give me victory over my sleep and my laziness. Because that is what keeps me from being properly standing when the day comes. Let's all pray for that today. Let's pray for victory over sleep and laziness. Okay, so the next thing that we have here, so we have the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, another, another aspect of this is your feet are very important. I mean, if you are going to go somewhere, which, you know, if you're standing and you're within his hand, then you're fine. But if you're going somewhere, you really need to have your feet protected because the shields didn't always protect this part of you that well, Right? So you need your feet protected. Those are very important. You ever have a stubbed toe? It hurt bad. And it kicks you down, right? Every single step, you remember, ah, oh, you know, you get that bad toe. I used to have ingrown toenails, like monster ingrown toenails. I'm not even joking. My toe was like spilling out over my, my toenail, right? And this one time I, I was sitting in a chair and I, I moved my chair up and it slams onto my toe and slid off of it. And I didn't even want to look at it because I knew it was going to be bad. And when I got in the car, I took off my shoe and there was blood all the way around my sock. And it was bad. They had to do surgery three different times not to fix that, but just to correct my toenails. (laughs) I have some plastic surgery on my left toe. No, no, they had to, they had to do surgery to stop me from getting these ingrown toenails just to like to kill the root so that it wouldn't keep going out wrong. But when your toes are off and when your feet are messed up, it hurts. You know, the Achilles heel, I think one of those Greek myths or something. You know that your feet are really important because if they cut something in there, you are disabled. So now what does that? What keeps our feet ready? It's that gospel of Jesus Christ. It's that gospel of peace. Be ready. Blessed are the peacemakers, aren't they? Because the gospel of peace, as we run into situations, if we don't have our feet of peace on, someone's going to jab at us, right? If we aren't quick and prepared with this gospel... People can start to just jab all of their little things and they, they, they disable us. Like that little wolf under my bed, right? He gets my feet. Ugh. But he disables you. And that's the scary thing. If we're not quick with the gospel, so, you know, sometimes like if we're not quick with that, right away, ready, ready, just at least ready for it, ready to share, if God gives you a chance, then it'll disable us as believers to be what we are called to be. Now, I remember, Lauren, I hope you're right if I share this story. It just came to me right now. It was when Lauren first went out evangelizing, ever, I think. And we were at the conference. And you know Lauren, she's, I mean, this is a testimony of God. 
Because the first time she was sitting there with someone for about 30 minutes, they were sitting next to each other, and, um, and she, she texts me, right? I was leading a group out to do outreach stuff. She texts me and goes, I don't know how to bring Jesus up with her. She would sit there for like 30 minutes and didn't really know like what to say to kind of do it, you know? Oh, man, has that not been all of our stories? But I say that because look how far, look, how, look what God has done. Praise God for that. That's a testimony in and of itself. But now it's because she gets her feet ready, right? She gets ready for that gospel of peace. You're going to go bring it to people. Now, the cool thing about this in particular is that when your feet are ready, they'll take you anywhere you need to go, anywhere that God calls you. Now, that could be to England. It could be to Uzbekistan. It could be to Botswana. It could be next door. Not near as glamorous. And most likely, it will be next door before it's Botswana. You know what I mean? Because Jesus says, take this to your home, then to the surrounding regions, then to even further, and then to the ends of the earth. So get our feet ready. Amen? Next, the shield of faith. The shield of faith, which quenches the fiery darts. Okay. So, shield of faith. These were big shields, mind you. These aren't these little like little shields here. No, these are big shields, and they link together, okay? These shields link together with the person next to you because you are ready. You're building a wall. You may have a wall already. We want a new wall, and it's cooler, and it's shiny, and it moves because we are a living organism of one. Many, but one. Have we talked about that already over the last couple weeks? Many different things melted down and made into one. It's our shield of faith that makes us unified in the eyes of the world around us. That's linked in. We might look completely different on behind the shield, but when you come to the outside of it, all you see is, is, is this shield. And the beautiful thing was, is some of them were like cool enough to think, hey, if we design each shield differently, it'll like spell out a message or say like, hey, we're going to beat you or, you know, something like that. Some cool, like something on it. And so if, if but as we are unified, we spell out the gospel to people because there is nothing weirder than all y'all getting along. There is nothing weirder and more beautiful and amazing than that. And as we stand together, linked into each other, I can't have my brother on my right or my sister on my left. Yeah, I'll just set my shield down. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead. You know, we can't do that, guys. We need each other because there's a gap in that wall and I'm not okay with that. My wife and my family are on the other side of this shield, on the other side of this wall. I'm protecting them, you know? So we need to, for the sake of the body of Christ, keep our shields up and keep them not only up, but locked together with each other's because that's when we're ready. Now, there's a lot of things in the the body of Christ called um, maybe denominations or different or whatever it is. But I just say, you know what? Denominations, they all have hooks on the edge. And they can all latch together. And we can agree on the fact that Jesus Christ, our salvation, Son of God, born perfect, lived, died, rose again, and He's coming for me. We can all chant that cry. And the banner that waves over those, over those shields is that of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And that's where we stand. And it's a glorious place to stand. The shield of faith, it quenches the fiery darts. Fiery darts? Fiery darts. You guys remember James? The tongue which is set on fire by hell. 
Remember Jesus? When, when the devil speaks, it's because that's his native tongue and he speaks in lies. Lies are his native tongue. Do you remember what Satan is also called? The accuser of the brethren. And that is why I bring this up in, the in, in, the, in relation to all of the context of this is that we are one. We are in relationships with each other. And the enemy will accuse us to each other and each other to us. Your faith will put it out. Remember when Paul writes all these letters to people that are doing really pretty weird things? <laughs> Corinthians, they're like sleeping with grandma, you know, like really gross stuff, right? The case. <laughs> I know, it's weird. Okay. So those things are going on in these churches. Now what Paul could have done, unlatch his shield, get out of here, you know, get out of here, get out of here. He had maybe every right to. No, he didn't do that. Do you remember how he starts these letters? I thank God as I rejoice in your faith. I praise God for how you received salvation. What do we go back to? We go back to that real grateful gratitude and that beautiful praise to God for the work he's done in your life. The work he's done in your life. The work he's done in yours. Because if we take our eyes off of those things, we start to get all picky. No. Keep our eyes. Keep your shield up. It'll extinguish all of the fiery darts of the evil one. And do that within the body of Christ. Do that within this room. Maybe you've let the enemy pierce you. Maybe that fiery dart is burning in you. And you have bitterness in your heart towards somebody, maybe even in this room. That's going to get put out tonight because God is faithful. Let's move on. The next one is the helmet of salvation. The helmet protects us from decapitation. I like my head and I want to keep it there. The head's very important, right? The, 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 that's really what it's for. It keeps you from getting your head lopped off. You need your head. You really, really need your head. In the body of Christ, who's the head? Jesus. Jesus is the head in the body of Christ, as it says. And so when we keep our helmet on, what is that helmet again? Salvation. When you have, if Jesus is the head of you, you are saved. <laughs> Isn't that cool how that works? So if you keep your head on straight, <laughs> there you go. Keep your helmet on. It's your salvation. It keeps your head on. <laughs> it keeps your head on. Your salvation it just protects. Last one sword which is the what word of god okay i can go to the hebrews text which say that the word of god is sharper than any two-edged sword able to divide pretty much the smallest part of, of anything you know sinew and all this fun stuff tendons and ligaments but really the word of god is is where it's at and this sword here this sword isn't a giant sword we always think of it as one of those big 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 swords it's not one of those it's a little one right that, that text that says to rightly divide the word of truth. When, when Jesus was being tempted by Satan, and when he's in the wilderness and fasting, when Satan comes at him with accusations, does he start quoting like a psalm? Just reading a whole psalm? You know, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was out form in darkness, and da 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 No, he doesn't do that. He very, very succinctly cuts at it. And he uses one particular verse that is rightly divided, and he's, he says, no, absolutely not. Now the enemy comes at him, Satan comes at him with verses. Ha ha. 
That's hard. You've got to know your word. You've got to know that sword. I, I think I've heard that on swords, a lot of times your hand actually wears into the, the grip there. And as you use it more, it looks more like you and you look more like it because your hand will get calloused. Your hand will start to look like that sword handle. Your, and that sword handle will start to look like you. Prayerfully, as we all grow in Jesus, we start to more look like the Word and the Word starts to look more like us because we've become more like the Word. So that is the difference. We don't change the Word, but the Word changes us. With all this gear, you have to stand. With the shield, it's huge. You can't be sitting down on the job. You got your shoes on. You know, you can't, you can't be sitting down on the job anymore. Your waist is girded with truth. You have your breastplate of righteousness on. You have your helmet salvation. You have your shield of faith. You've got your sword, which is the word, the spirit. Man, with a bound waist, with the plates on your chest, bound feet, giant shield. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. One last reminder. Because if we think we're standing, just be careful. If you're on the job, and you're sitting there with your shield on. Oh, yeah, I got this covered. I'm out here every day. Oh, check it out. Da, 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 da. Be careful. Because that's the time when you might fall. The time when you're unaware. We already got to this point where we've talked about walking in wisdom. So with this, I'm going to give you the same advice that they give on shampoo. Wash, rinse, and repeat. Do it every day. Do it every day. Don't, you know, just make sure that you are walking in love every day. Walk in light every day. Walk in wisdom. Ask God, as you read that gospel, that beautiful book of His, He will humble you, you know? So you're going to be on guard. But just wanted to throw that last verse out there so that we don't all think, oh yeah, I'm standing because I do my ritual every morning. But if you think you stand, just be, be careful so that you don't fall. Just be careful, Okay? As we close this up, Paul leaves us with a gracious greeting. He leaves us with peace. He says, love with faith. I leave you with God the Father and grace. Okay? Remember how there were those three relationships? Those three grassroots relationships that just changed society? The last one, which is the, which is the first one, the first relationship that changes society isn't husbands and wives. It's not children and parents. It's not even bosses and employees. It's our relationship with God. That's the most important, the number one defining relationship of a society is a man's relationship with God. So as that's the case, this letter here ends with grace. Isn't that perfect? Because if a man's relationship with God was based on works, that's not grace. But this Bible ends with grace, not with works. I'm so grateful for that because I can't do it. I have tried and I can't do it. I keep failing with the snooze button, much less other things. So I can't do it. But by grace, we've been saved, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now we're going to go back to the first point, which was that, that fun point about walking in love. And who's your daddy? Remember that question that I asked? Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Is it dear children of God? Is your dad God or is your dad disobedience? Yikes. <laughs> okay. Who's your daddy? Children of God or children of disobedience? Romans 8, 15. But you receive the spirit of adoption 
by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. In the book of Romans, it says that now, by the Spirit of God in our lives, we can receive the ability to call God our dad. I don't know if you guys had an amazing dad or if you didn't know who your dad was. Maybe you never knew him. Maybe you knew him and he was the best example of Jesus. It doesn't matter. It pales in comparison to having a God in heaven that we can call Father. And he's perfect and his love is real. It's not pretend. It's real. And he is a great disciplinarian as well because we need it most of the time. So the book of Romans says everybody has sinned. We know this. The book of Romans also says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It also says that the wages of sin, like the, the penalty or the wages that you get paid at your job of sin is death. Like, here's your paycheck. Here's a bunch of death. Oh, great. Right? We deserve death because of our sin and our rebellion and our disobedience to God. But if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And we believe in the word of God. And we've seen God change lives. We believe and we know this to be true. Because not only are you just figuratively saved in your afterlife, whatever that looks like, being in God's presence is going to be amazing. And I wish I knew more about it. But being in God's presence now is amazing. I can't wait to know more about it with you. If you don't know Jesus today, you'll get a chance to just respond to him because it says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We take God for his word. We know that he isn't joking and not just speaking in metaphors. He truly means it. So let's go ahead and pray together, okay? God, I thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you for your grace in our lives, for the fact that you have called us your child. For those of you that haven't received Jesus Christ or his gift, feel free to pray with me if you want to today. If you know that you're a sinner, you know that you've made mistakes and been disobedient to God, but you want to ask for forgiveness and you believe in this Jesus, go ahead and pray with me. God in heaven, I confess to you that I'm a sinner. I know I've done wrong. I've been disobedient. I've lived all those things. But God, I I just confess to you that's who I am, but not who I want to be. Take me, God. Save me from myself. Save me from the penalty of my sin. And God, I ask that you would forgive me of my sins and, and just make me brand new. By that power that rose Jesus from the dead, Raise up my life to real life in Christ Jesus. Don't leave me alone. Be with me and teach me as a good father. Amen. And Lord God, I ask for, the, for us. I pray that we would be obedient to you as dear children. And God, I ask that we wouldn't just be, be shut off from each other. I pray that we wouldn't let the enemy's lies taint and hurt the body that you've placed us in. Help us to take up the armor and help us to apply it in the relationships that we find ourselves in today. God, if there are any, if there's anyone in here that needs to confess to you hardness of heart or belief of lies 
from, from the enemy about another believer. I pray you would deal with that tonight. Deal with our hearts, God. Because you are the one that cleanses us. And it's your work. And we trust you. We count on you, God, to do that. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.